Hello, this is Father Michael Eads from the Toronto Oratory, and you're listening to Lexio et Oratio, a short spiritual reading podcast followed by a reflection. Mother Teresa, come be my light, the private writings of the Saint of Calcutta, chapter 4, continued. My God, supply for what is wanting in me. Archbishop Perrier was taken aback by Mother Teresa's long and exhortative letter. Archbishop's House, 32 Park Street, Calcutta, April 7, 1947. My dear Mother Teresa, Pax Christi. I was rather astonished to read in your letter a good many reasons for which I was not moving in the matter you had laid before me. I thought I had explained previously in a clear manner the motives which obliged me to move very slowly in such an important matter. If I saw after fervent prayers and mature reflection, if I saw after fervent prayers and mature reflection that the will of God was to move in the direction you wish me to move at once, I would not hesitate. I would not give a moment's consideration for difficulties, means, or anything else. For me, the will of God is supreme and all the rest disappears. But to know the will of God for those who have the authority and to act in his name requires consultation, prayer, and reflection. I am quite convinced that you are ready for everything. But my dear mother, you must also take my side now and then. By representing your request and defending it before the Holy See, I am assuming a great responsibility. Not only can I be the cause of the ruin of many vocations, but I also may be the cause of leading souls in the darkness by rashness. Your example of the foundress of the Franciscan missionaries of Mary is not an argument. First of all, I know for sure, from personal contact, with people who lived at the time, Verbi Grazia, the former delegate apostolic in India, Monsignor Zaleski, that things did not go smoothly at all. And I know that even now, that the life of the foundress is being discussed for her beatification. Many points have to be cleared up. Moreover, canon law at that time was not yet codified as it is now. A good many new decrees for religious have been issued from that time also. Another motive which should make you reflect when you press me to start at once is that I have absolutely no power to let you start this kind of work. Your mother general has more power than I have in this respect. The matter must necessarily go to Rome, and we must be ready to answer the questions which we shall be asked. To answer these questions, I must have acquired a personal conviction, a kind of moral certitude, which allows me in conscience to answer favorably or otherwise, I must be able to say later on that even if I was mistaken in my views, pro or con, I was mistaken in good faith, that I did not rush madly in a question 
on which depends so much for others. Your object in theory may have my hearty approbation. That doesn't yet suffice to allow you to start or to suggest that you might be allowed to start. If I am not mistaken, I suggested in one of my previous letters that you should sit down quietly and write down exactly what and in detail you wanted to do first, second, the means by which you desire to bring it about, third, how you would form your disciples, etc. Fourth, what kind of people you would recruit for this work. Fifth, what would be the center of your work. Sixth, whether it is not possible to obtain this end by a congregation already in existence. Seventh, whether it would not be more conducive toward the end to use a kind of association or sodality and not religious exactly to work out your scheme. There are hundreds of questions that come to the fore and must be examined seriously and satisfactorily. During my absence, set to work at your plan under the guidance of the Holy Ghost. It is not desired to have a long description of what you fancy you will be able to do. What we want is to know in a few words the aim, the means, the rules, the recruitment, the possibilities of success. I do not say the glamour, nor do I mean the humiliations, hardships, etc. But if we start something, it must be able to achieve the object for which it is started. That's what I call the success. If you are ready, when I return from Rome, sometime in September, it will be all right. Do not think the period allowed is too long. Such essentials require long meditation, prayer, reflection, consultation. In the meantime, I shall see in Europe how such a congregation would work. What has been the experience of others in this line? Whether it is better to have a lay association rather than a religious congregation. God bless you. I am in union of holy communions and prayers. Yours devotedly in Christ, Archbishop Ferdinand Perrier, S.J. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Angels of God, our guardians, dear, to whom God's love commits us here, ever this day be at our side, to light and guard, to rule and guide. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, teacher of teachers, have mercy on us. Saint Philip Neri, gentle guide of youth, patron of thy own, vessel of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Notice in this letter that the Archbishop is very much on her side. At the end of the letter, he tells her, when I come back, let me have the answer to these seven points. I'm going to see in the meantime what I can find out in Europe. And in doing this and saying this, the Archbishop really is kind of showing his hand, as they say. He's fairly convinced about her sincerity. And he really wants to make this work. He's 
a little bit captured by the idea. But he also knows that new beginnings like this are very, very difficult. And so he wants to have all the advice, all the consultation he can get. But notice also what he wants to do. He wants to see what similar kinds of projects have done. He wants to learn both how they do it, but also the kinds of mistakes they made. Why? So as to avoid those mistakes. In other words, we can learn from others, both by the good they do, but we can also learn by their mistakes, by their faults. In fact, one of the reasons that God even leaves people with certain faults, or one of the reasons why God lets certain works stumble or fail or make mistakes, is because he loves other people in a special way and wants them to learn from those mistakes, to see what they, this other group did and how they failed so as to avoid something bigger in the future. Or even in people's personal lives, in friends or spiritual directors or whoever, we may see certain kinds of faults, certain kinds of mistakes and we wonder, why is God leaving this person with those faults? But one of the reasons is that there are other younger people coming along who have the same faults. But they would never recognize those faults. Or they would never learn certain lessons if they didn't see it held up to them as in a mirror by their superiors or by the example of other people. In other words, if we see something in someone else we don't like, if there's something that bothers us in someone else, it's a very good time to examine our own conscience. Why are we so struck? Why are we so bothered by this other person's faults? Is it possible that their faults are my faults? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.